0: Christmas, like most holidays, comes with a story to tell. Last month for Thanksgiving, I revisited the Thanksgiving story, the story of the first Thanksgiving and also the story of how we came to observe the fourth Thursday of November as a time of feasting and giving thanks. Christmas, Easter, the fourth of July, Veterans Day, all of these holidays come with stories behind them. And Christmas is no exception. In fact, Christmas may be the holiday that is the most focused on the story. And it's a familiar story. It's a story that we even put out models of in our homes as one of the central decorations, a nativity scene. The stable, the manger with the baby, Mary and Joseph, shepherds, wise men, an assortment of livestock, perhaps an angel. These are standard features, and they tell a story that on one night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, this assortment of personages and animals and spiritual beings gathered to witness the birth of our Lord and Savior. It's a compelling, beautiful scene. It evokes images of hope and love and joy, and all of that is appropriate. And I want to say at the outset, My aim in revisiting this story and poking at it a bit is not to destroy anyone's Christmas and is not to convince us to throw away our nativities. I have nativity scenes in our household and love them. My hope is simply to reorient us to the text and the story itself so that we we do not mistake the ways in which we remember the story for the story in its reality. So most of what's in a nativity scene comes from assortment of texts. There's no one passage of scripture that displays the nativity. So that's the first thing to get straight away. And most people understand that the wise men and the shepherds did not show up on the same evening in Bethlehem. The story of the magi or the wise men is recorded in Matthew's gospel, is situated in a very different time and place from the birth story, That Luke records for us. And of course, Mark's gospel doesn't record a birth at all. And John only makes passing mention of the fact that Jesus was born. So our gospels have uneven accounts that cannot be neatly stitched together into a single scene. But the nativity stands for something that the story represents, which is the narrative that Mary and Joseph come screeching into Bethlehem, with Mary about to pop, and we seem to have a big debate over whether Mary was riding a donkey or walking or they had a wagon or a cart or they were both on donkeys, none of which the text speaks to at all, but that upon arriving in Bethlehem, there's no room for them anywhere, and so they are shuttled out to a barn, and that that very night, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Those are the details that I want to interact with. I'm not so interested in the wise men and the shepherds and the angels and what livestock, if any, happened to be present. And there certainly wasn't a little drummer boy. Let's just get that out of the way at the outset. So I want to read for you the passage from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It's a familiar passage. It's one that we read and tell. But I think there are aspects of it that we easily overlook or miss because that narrative that I related at the beginning is so firmly embedded in our minds. And at first glance, it may appear that what I just read and the narrative that I related earlier that we're familiar with overlap very well. But I want to call our attention to a few things. The first is this notion that Mary and Joseph arrive in town And have nowhere to stay. Bethlehem is a very small town. It's a backwater village in the first century BC. And so it's unlikely that there were large hotels or even proper inns in any quantity. But the bigger thing to notice is what the text says about Bethlehem in the context it is the town David is going to be registered in as part of the census because it is his hometown. In other words, he has family there. He is returning to an ancestral home, which means that other family members would have been present. And the scandal of Mary's pregnancy before Mary and Joseph were wed would not have been sufficient for a Jewish family in that time and place to cast them out into a barn. So it is unlikely for that reason that they sought shelter in an inn. Which brings us to verse 7, which said that they were in a manger, that Jesus was placed in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Note that nowhere is a stable mentioned. A manger is mentioned, but not a stable. The manger is mentioned because there's no room for them in the inn. The word for in there is a word that literally means guest quarters or guest room. It is used a few times in the New Testament and once more in Luke's gospel apart from here. And it is in the context of the upper room, the guest quarters that Jesus and the disciples eat the Last Supper in, as well as the upper room in Luke's other book of Acts in which the believers were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. It can stand for a place that you pay for lodging, such as an inn. But Luke has another word that he uses in the only instance where it's clear that he means what we would think of as a hotel. And that's in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan takes the wounded traveler to an inn and pays the innkeeper. There is no innkeeper here. And because of Joseph's family connections, it is most likely that what is being described is that in the guest quarters of the home that Mary and Joseph stayed in, there wasn't sufficient room for them, and so Jesus was placed in a manger. The guest room in a first century house would have been on the upper floor. That's why upper room or guest room are interchangeable translations of this word. On the ground floor in an ancient home, there would have been feeding troughs for animals, The house may have been raised up off the ground so that animals could come in through a back door at the ground level, and the manger would be in the floor of the house, raised up so that they could eat out of it. People lived in much closer proximity to their animals in ancient times than we are accustomed to, but think of this like a dog dish on the floor of your house for your pet, or your cat's bowl, or whatever animals you may keep in your home. And for first century people, donkeys and sheep and cattle would have been in these categories. And on the main level of a house, the first level, there would have been feeding troughs for them. And Jesus is placed there because Mary and Joseph are staying on the main level rather than in the guest quarters. The other element of this narrative is the time frame that Mary and Joseph arrive in the nick of time. They arrive on a given day. They make a quick search of the village for any place to stay and being denied any, they are put in a stable outback. And that very night, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Well, this is problematic for two reasons. One is the straight face test. No groom worth his salt is going to travel with a woman who could give birth at any moment on a journey of some three days duration. He had plenty of notice, about the census, either to travel after the birth if that was too urgent or to leave in plenty of time for Mary to have the child long after they arrived, which is obviously the case here. So there's a straight face test component of this understanding that they arrive in town and moments later, Mary's giving birth. But the other is a linguistic problem. The text in verse six uh, six says, and while they were there in the Greek, it literally says And the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. While they were there, the days were fulfilled. That's what stands behind the phrase, the time came. The days were fulfilled. In other words, there's an implication that multiple days passed after they arrived. And then the time that they were there, Mary gave birth. Which makes it all the more unlikely that they were spending many, many days out in a stable. A single night in a stable on the way to somewhere else might have been understandable but for a pregnant woman to spend days and days and days in a stable would have been unconscionable in any context. This also makes more sense, then, of what Matthew reports, which is that when the wise men did come sometime later, the star they were following settled over a house, and they find Mary and Joseph in that house. All of this is simply to say that we do well to pay attention to the text, to not assume that the stories we've heard are the stories told as they appear in Scripture. But more than that, I think sometimes the stable narrative puts Jesus into a mythological category of such an extraordinary birth that it removes him from ordinary human experience. I think the scene of Jesus in a house bustling full of extended family in a compressed space and under a bit of stress And a birth with the household animals present puts Jesus right smack dab in the midst of our very ordinary everyday realities. In that sense, the birth of Christ is both ordinary in that it's very similar to many other human births, and also extraordinary because the God of the universe deigned to become one of us ordinary humans. And it's because of that extraordinary birth that we can experience all of the blessings of God's rich goodness to us. So Merry Christmas. May you rejoice in the birth of Christ our Lord and Savior this season.